0: Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Hey, have you ever had a moment in your life where you were trying to communicate with someone and you just realized it wasn't happening? Sometimes this comes up when we are trying to speak to someone who speaks a different language than us and maybe we're in a different country or something and we think if we say it slower and louder they'll get it. So it's something like this. Where's the bathroom? Me no speak of the English. Where is the bathroom? <laughs> I still no speak of the English. Anyway. <laughs> well, the title of this message is taken from Mark 8:21 where Jesus, if you want to look with me, Mark 8:21 says Do you not yet understand? You'll notice in the title behind me, the words get bigger. For emphasis sake, do you not yet understand? Or if we would say it in the Italian, capisce? (laughs) Would you pray with me? (laughs) Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we realize that until we have really acted upon a Bible verse, the question is, do we really believe it? And have we really heard it? Well, Jesus, we know that as you took the disciples on this three, three and a half year uh, ultimate training, uh, you were trying to get drive points home and they didn't always get it. And their lack of getting things is really hopeful for us who are slow learners sometimes. So Father, we pray that your your light would be, your word would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that it would go deep, that it would divide even to the division of soul and spirit, Joints and and marrow, it would discern our thoughts and uh, and the intents of our heart. Your searchlight, Lord, would go deep. The bread of God would come into our lives and be food for the soul today. You know where every person is at spiritually today. So Lord, we just wanna lay this time at your feet and pray you'd be glorified in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now what we have before us is the feeding of the 4,000, the second miracle feeding that Jesus does in the New Testament. And some liberal scholars, some critics of the Bible have said, oh, this is impossible. Mark was just repeating an earlier miracle with the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. There's no way the disciples could have been that stupid to ask the same question again. Here's what they ask. Lord, we're gonna get enough bread to feed all these people. They ask it a second time, and the critic of the Bible says they couldn't have been that stupid. Uh, apparently they don't know the type of people I know. Because I don't know about you, but for me personally, I have to hear things much more than one time. Have you ever had to retake a test, spiritually speaking? Have you ever had God just try to kind of re-impress on you the same lesson? Can I get a witness? Oh yeah. I don't think it should be surprising at all that the Lord repeats a feeding miracle in the Bible. And let me tell you the distinctions between the two. In the first feeding miracle, Jesus is on the Jewish side of the lake. In the second one, he's on the Gentile side. In the first miracle, he feeds 5,000 plus women and children, in the second, 4,000 plus women and children. The first one happens in Bethsaida, the second one in the Decapolis. We'll talk about that in a second. The first miracle is five loaves and two fish. The second miracle is seven loaves and a few fish. Both miracles involve fish and bread. This seems to bother some people. They say, oh, it's the same things. Well, uh, I've got news for you. These were staples in that time. Bread and fish were staples. How many times do you eat the same meal every week? How many of you eat chicken a lot? Or fish or whatever? I heard a comedian, he was talking about Mexican food. I love Mexican food. I'm sure you do as well. If you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. But he said, you know, can you imagine someone going into a Mexican restaurant who had never really had Mexican food and asking about the menu? Something like this. Uh, what's a taco? Well, it's a tortilla with meat and a cheese. What's a burrito? Well, it's a tortilla with meat and a bean and a cheese. How about that uh, Mexican pizza? Well, it's a tortilla with a meat and a bean and a cheese. Uh, what's that chimichanga up there? Well, it's a tortilla <laughs> with a meat <laughs> and a beans and a cheese. Now, I'm sure you're all tracking with me. This is not deeply difficult to figure out. So critics of the Bible, you know, the last miracle was with bread and fish. Yeah, not difficult to figure out. In the one miracle, they take up 12 baskets on the Jewish side of the lake. and the other miracle, seven baskets. We'll look at that. And then finally, Jesus makes a distinction between the two miracles. Just look ahead in verse 19 when he says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. Verse 20, Mark 8. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven point, just keep reading in your Bible and you can answer most of the so-called critics' questions. So what we have before us is, do you not yet understand? Jesus had to reteach lessons to the disciples like he reteaches them to us. It would be good if we all realize that God does this so that when we have to retake spiritual tests in life, we're not surprised. In fact, I think the biblical model is something like this. Until you pass the test, you just keep retaking it. And so this is kind of how it was going for the disciples. They did not yet understand. Jesus seems to be really frustrated with them. It says, Mark 8, verse 1, In those days again, keyword again, when there was a great multitude, Mark 8, 1, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, Now the area that this takes place is the area of the Decapolis. If you look back in in, in verse 31, Mark 7, 31, it says, again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon. That's where he healed the uh, daughter of the Syrophoenician woman of demon possession. He went through that area to the Sea of Galilee, notice, within the region of Decapolis. See that word, Decapolis? That's two Greek words, deca and polis. Deca means ten where we get the idea of the Decalogue, and polis means city. So these were 10 pagan cities. They were founded by the Greeks in the, around the 60s BC is my understanding. And then they were kind of developed by the Romans. And today there are archeological digs that have taken place that have uncovered some of the ruins of these cities, what's called the Decapolis. You might remember that it's in the Decapolis that Jesus heals the man who is filled with a legion of demons, and the man is in his right mind. And notice, just go back for a second in Mark and go to chapter five, look at verse 18. Jesus had gone through this area, and it says he was getting into the boat after he had healed the man, uh, Mark five eighteen. He was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. He wanted to go wherever Jesus went after being healed so incredibly. And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you, Mark five twenty, And when he went away, Uh, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis, there's our word again, what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You see, God was working on a couple of different levels as he always does and he was preparing this region for the next time he would come through and the formerly demon-possessed man did his job because the next time Jesus comes through here, the book of Matthew tells us that people begin in the Decapolis to flock to Jesus and they begin to bring the sick and the demon-possessed, and that man had done his job, and I wanna ask you a question. In your sphere of influence, how well have you done your job? How well have you made known the mercy that God has poured into your life? How have you been a witness in the places that God has placed you? The Decapolis literally means the 10 cities, as I mentioned. If you're interested in the names of the cities, they are Scythopolis, Hippos, Gadara, Pella, Philadelphia, Gerasa, Dion, Canatha, Rafana, and Damascus. Only Damascus seems to still have its ancient name today. When they dug up the uh, excavations, they found elegant the- uh, amphitheaters, ruins of amphitheaters, seating 5,000 people. Forums, countless pagan statues, monuments honoring various gods of the Greek pantheon, including Zeus, Aphrodite, Athena, Artemis, Hercules, Dionysus, and Demeter. In Jewish thought, in the rabbis taught that when Joshua took the land of Canaan, later to be known as the land of Israel, he pushed seven nations across to the other side of the lake, the eastern side of the lake, and that's how they ended up there. Those seven nations are mentioned in Joshua 3.10. Just write it down for your notes. They were dispossessed by Joshua and they were Canaanite, Hittite, Hivite, Perizzite, Girgashite, Amorite, Jebusite, and if you wanna add an eighth, Coronite. Just kidding, there are only seven. And Joshua pushed them uh, outside the promised land or if you will, to the other side of the lake and that's where they were, Acts 13.19. Uh, It's mentioned he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. So to the Jewish mind, this was the dark side of the sea. This was the pagan side of the lake. This is where people worship the devil. The disciples never wanted to go back to this place again, especially after how they were treated the first time, because after Jesus heals the man with legion, the demons go into the pigs. Remember, they go off the cliff and the herdsmen and the people of the town say, please, remember, Leave now. We do not want you here anymore. And Jesus got into the boat and left and the disciples were probably going, woo, good, let's never, never go back there, Lord. And here they are back there again. And Jesus is about to do another feeding miracle. Mark 8, one says, in those days again, when there was a great multitude, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to himself. Again, another miracle. Here's what goes on. If you look at Mark 6.52, just let me remind you of what was going on in the hearts of the disciples and this will tell us why he did it again. Mark 6.52 says, for they, the disciples, had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves but their heart was what? They had not gained any insight, not one smidgen, apparently, of insight from the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. Didn't get it, didn't understand it, didn't understand the spiritual connotation, so it's going to be repeated once again. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses. The origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did two-part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology. Intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Here's a key passage. Write this down for your notes. This is Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. It says, you shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. The last book of Moses says these words, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, and he humbled you and let you be hungry. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone. You remember Bible students? but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God did this, he let you go hungry, he let you look to him for provision that he might make you understand. That God is the one who brings the spiritual bread. Now notice what happens. Mark 8, two, we pick up the account. Jesus said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I'm not sure if they ran out of provisions or some people had a little bit of bread or all of a sudden, you know, the realization was that they didn't eat in three days. Can you imagine no food for three days? That's a long time. That's kinda when you start getting desperate. And the Bible says that Jesus felt compassion for them. The question is, did the disciples? Did they feel the same amount of compassion that Jesus did? Do you know, brothers and sisters, if you let compassion drive your life, you will do a lot of good things. If you let criticism drive your life, you will be in a lot of negative places. Let me ask you, in your normal week in life, does compassion drive most of your decision-making, most of your comments to others, or does criticism? Which is it? Well, for the disciples, they had been arguing left and right, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said, look, I've come not to be served, but to serve. The the theme verse of Mark's gospel is right behind me. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus was trying to shape the hearts of the disciples. He was trying to show them the compassion of Almighty God. And that's what it says in the Bible about God. He's full of compassion And Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. The question is, do we feel compassion? One writer says, compassion could be defined this way. It is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain and remove its cause. Do you have compassion? You know, sometimes we run across people and sometimes we just fail in the compassion area. We might say to someone, be warm, be filled, I'll pray for you, but do we relieve maybe the immediate need that is quite obvious to us? Jesus was concerned that these people were gonna faint from lack of food. He said, if I send them away, look at verse three, hungry to their home, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a distance. Some of these people came a long way. And his disciples, in a response once again of great faith, answered him and said, where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread here in a desolate place? The New King James says here in the wilderness. Lord, where are we gonna find bread for 4,000 men plus women and children? Hello? Hello? Is this a replay? Didn't we just have this situation? Now some commentators say maybe they said it with a smile. Maybe they didn't want to be presumptuous thinking that he would do another food miracle, so it was something like this. Lord, where are we going to get enough bread? You know, right? Wink, wink. But I have a feeling that they said it with a lack of faith and maybe even a frustration. Maybe they hadn't eaten in a while. You ever get cranky when you haven't eaten for a while? Lord, I don't know where we're going to get enough bread to feed all these people. This is crazy, Lord. And their last solution was to send the people away. Get rid of them. And Jesus was asking them, look at verse 5, Mark 8. He said, How many loaves, key words, two little words, do you have? And they said, Seven. Now, remember in the previous miracle, who was the one who delivered the little brown bag lunch that got multiplied? Do you remember who it was? It was a little boy. They went on a little mission to find out if anybody had packed a lunch. Anybody got peanut butter and jelly with chips, man? Let's find out. And they found a little boy with his lunch and he was willing to give it. Remember he said, here, if you can do anything, right? Five loaves, two fish. But this time it's not the little boy. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Oh, wait a minute now. (laughs) This is getting a little personal now. What do you mean my loaves? We have seven. And Lord, I've been doing a little math. There's 12 of us plus you makes 13. There's a few stragglers around here keep following us everywhere we go. They have longing faces. They look like they're hungry. So I've been figuring out how to divide up the seven. All right? Where I'm gonna tear it. I might tear it in a place that's in my favor. Right? So we have seven. But certainly the Lord's not gonna ask for my bread. Where's that little kid? (laughs) Hey, hey. Did he come on the other side of like somebody go find that little kid? He seems to be a planner. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if you heard me right. Where are your seven loaves? Oh, Lord, not my seven. Yeah, your seven. You see, it's pretty easy when someone else delivers the stuff to be multiplied. But when you're in my kitchen asking for my bread, we say stuff like this. Doesn't the church have one of those benevolence funds? Have you ever been in a position where you came across a need and you started thinking about options for that person and the Lord said something like this to your heart? No, I want you to take care of that need now. Well, uh, I only got $7, Lord. Then give the seven. I was going to Del Taco. (laughs) Give the seven. I tend to think that there was a very poor attitude here. You guys hear the story about there are two people waiting for a plane, and they were sitting next to each other, and the one man went and bought some cookies while he was waiting for his flight, and so he had his nice oatmeal raisin cookies in the package, and he, he, you know, set them down, and he got a little distracted, and the woman came up and sat next to him, and all of a sudden, she grabbed his package of cookies, and she began to open the cookies, and he's like, what in the world is she doing? And she took a cookie, and she ate the cookies, like, and- how appalling, the nerve of her. So he took a cookie, and he started eating it. It was kind of like a little face-off. And then the nerve of her, she took another cookie. i one And he was like boiling inside, but he couldn't get the words out. So he took a cookie. He started eating the cookie. And then look at each other. She's looking at him. He's looking at her. And then he looked off to the right, and he realized he had never opened his own cookies. <laughs> he was taking her cookies. Perspective. Yes. And so the disciples need some fresh perspective. And Jesus directed the multitude, verse six, to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, you could hear the disciples in the background, I'm sure hope he's gonna multiply stuff. <laughs> I just gave the I gave it away. Gave the seven. You know, the Lord's uh, quoted by Paul in Acts twenty thirty five. He says it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive, but I'm not sure we really believe that. I'm not sure we really believe that God could multiply stuff when we give it away, and so Jesus told the groups to sit down, big groups, taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, and he started giving them to his disciples to serve to them, to the people, and they served them to the multitude. I don't know how whiny they were as they did it. Took our bread. (laughs) There's 4,000 people plus women and children. How long do you think it took 12 men to serve maybe 10,000 people? I'd say quite a while. And the implication of the language here is that they would come back with their, their basket and the more they came back, Jesus just kept serving it up and the disciples were learning how to serve. Do you hear the message here? You take your bread and you give it away. Jesus is the bread of God and they gave the bread and they served. Notice the repetition of the word serve in verses six and seven three times. And then verse seven says they also had a few small fish and after he had blessed them. Now there's a little pause here. It seems like the bread miracle's going on and then all of a sudden it comes out there's a couple fish around. I think somebody was hiding fish. Do you agree? It's a bit of speculation but I think somebody had slipped a couple of fish Right here, just for safekeeping. You ever done that with your candy in the house? Oh, no, son, there's no candy. (laughs) What's that in your pocket, Dad? Looks like the ERS on the end. Is that a Snickers? Oh, no. (laughs) Somebody apparently was hiding a few fish. I said at the first service, maybe it was Peter. Maybe they went up to Peter and said, Peter, you you smell. (laughs) Things are a little fishy. Peter was a fisherman. And then a lady in the courtyard said, Pastor Michael, it wasn't Peter, it was Judas. Just had to be. Anyway, I don't even know, but. And so he blessed the fish and he ordered them to be served as well. You see, what the Lord really wants us to do is give ourselves away for the sake of the kingdom and we'll be blessed. John Wanamaker, founder of the famous Philadelphia department store that bears his name, was a devoted Christian On a trip to China to observe Christian mission work there, he came across a small village where a group of Christians had begun building a church but lacked money to complete it. In a nearby field, he noticed a strange sight. It was the sight of a boy yoked together with an ox as they together pulled a plow held by the boy's father. Mr. Wanamaker's guide explained that the boy had promised his father, he said, Dad, if you will sell one of the oxen and give the money for the building of the church, I will take the oxen's place by pulling the plow. The story says that Mr. Wanamaker fell to his knees and said, Lord, let me be hitched to a plow that I may know the joy of sacrificial giving. Wow. You see, these are the kinds of lessons that I think the Lord wants us to try to act upon by faith, and sometimes we hold back. In Mark 9, if you skip ahead for a second, here's what's going on in the apostles' hearts. Look at verse 33, Mark 9, 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he, Jesus, was in the house, he began to question them. He said, what were you discussing on the way? Mark nine thirty four. But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all, and what shall he be? Servant of all. You see, the Lord was doing these miracles And he was working in the lives of the apostles to try to get them to understand things about the kingdom of God. Do you not yet understand? And that's why he does a lot of things in our lives as well, that we might get the message. Hey, if you've been listening to these radio messages and you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may be asking the question, what do I do now? Let me give you four things really quick of what to do after you become a Christian. Number one is read your Bible. You know, the Bible is like spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's spiritual food for the inner man. So think of your Bible as food for the soul. Get into your Bible and get your Bible into you. Open it up and read it for yourself. Number two, find a good, healthy Bible teaching church. You know, it's not enough for a church to say they're Bible-believing. Make sure that they're Bible teaching and make sure that they teach in an expository fashion, going through passages and explaining the meaning of the text. Number three is to pray. You know, prayer is really a two-way communication with you and God. Pray with an open Bible. Keep your heart open. The Lord will speak to you primarily through the scriptures, but he can also speak to your heart and show you what to do. And number four is share your faith with others. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that you have embraced personally in your life. Tell them about how you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. That will give them the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ themselves. And it will also keep you accountable to this new life that you have in Christ. If we can be of help in any way, we'd like to know. We'd like to know if you made a decision to follow Christ. And if you're looking for a church to plug into, if you have questions, if you are looking for a healthy church, if we can help you in any way, Hey folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to walkintruth.com and in the contact form, Let us know that you're listening. Let us know who you are, what station you listen on, how the programs impacted your life and even how we can pray for you. That'd be a great blessing to us. And if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners to say, hey, Pastor Michael, this is how the programs impacted me and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners. So that'd be a blessing to us. Go to walkintruth.com in the contact form. Just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.